The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. It's funny when you're expecting Billy Idol and you hear something completely different. It's awesome. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it to um, Ephesians uh, chapter 1. I'm going to ask Connie Wicks to come up front. Um, Connie is one of the missionaries that... Uh, that our church supports uh, in South Africa. Um, she's going to share a little bit about who they are, what they do uh, with us this morning, and then she is going to read our text for us uh, today from Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, she's going to read um, three verses in Afrikaans, um, and the text will be um, in English up on the screen, and then she's going to switch over to English. So would you guys welcome um, Connie this morning? Morning. Uh, my mom, Marilyn, and I are very excited to be here with you. Uh, Westway is my mom's home church. We went to South Africa in 1966. My sister, Kathy, and I were just almost five and seven when we went over. And we've been in South Africa for 53 years. We're now uh, three generations in ministry. It's my mom, myself, and one of my sons, Mornay, who is in ministry with us. And uh, about the past 20 years, our focus has been more on child ministry. My mom works in Falvata in a township called Lesser Ding, where there's about 70,000 people with 75% unemployment. And every Wednesday, she has kids club. The kids come, about 500, 300 to 500 kids, sometimes more come to kids club. And they sing songs. They have Bible stories, very interactive Bible stories. They pray, and they get peanut butter and jam sandwiches and milk, which is a a treat for them and a good source of protein for them. And um, it's just a happy day for them. It's called Litabo Kids Club, which means happiness. And then on Saturday, she has two Bible study groups. The first one runs to uh, anywhere from 40 to 60 kids, from ages three to early teens. And then she has another group that's sort of teenagers to early 20s. And here they just go more in-depth into the Bible. They read straight out of the Bible in English and then discuss the scriptures in Sasutu and just really get a good knowledge of the word this way. And she's seen now through, through the Bible study groups and kids club young men growing up that have become leaders in the area. Um, Some have started churches, preaching, evangelizing, uh, preaching on the local radio station. So it's, you know, it takes time when you're working with kids and youth, but you do see results. And I think it's just important to get the the word in the children when they're young. And then in Johannesburg, uh, Mornay and I are working with daycare centers. They're underprivileged daycare centers. Um, the parents are very poor, or it's granny-headed home, or single mom-headed home, and we do uh, Bible stories with the kids each week, and our aim is just to plant the seeds of the gospel in kids when they're young, before they get to school, because when they go to school, they don't learn about God, and often the um, the black so-called Christian churches are a mixture of uh, uh, Christianity, culture, and even ancestral worship, so we want them to to learn the truth of the gospel when they're very, very young. So that's basically 
um, an overview of main things we do. Our, our ministries take on very, very many different aspects, and if you want to know, you must just come speak to us. Anyway, uh, I just want to ask if there's any South Africans or Afrikaners here, <laughs> because um, my, I'm, I'm not very good at languages, and my son had to interpret for me, and then record it for me so I can practice, because my Afrikaans isn't good. But I'll, I'm reading from Ephesians 1, starting with verse 1. Here the brief is from Paulus, gekies door die wil van God, om een apostel van Jesus Christus te wees. Ek skryf aan Godse heilige mense in Ephesus, die getrouwe volgelinge van Jesus Christus is. Maar God ons vader en die Heere Jesus Christus vir jylle genade en vrede gee. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. I would encourage you today to talk to Connie and Marilyn. They're going to be outside in the lobby. They have some things to hand out that will let you know how they can, you can, they can pray. You can pray for them um, in their ministry. And also Marilyn and Connie are both going to be at our uh, kickoff cookout this evening at Oregon Trail Park from 5 to 7. Shameless plug. Um, so we'd love for you to come and interact with them as well um, during that time. They'll also be here for another few days. Um, if you would like... Uh, to get in touch with them and you want to just have um, more time with them, I'd really encourage you to reach out to Eddie and Kay Meininger. That's where, that's where they're staying, and I know they would love to talk about um, their ministry and the things that, that they're doing and the way that we've been able to partner with them in their ministry. So let's, um, let's pray for Marilyn and Connie um, before we continue our message time. Um, God, we lift up Marilyn and Connie to you. Um, we ask you would continue to give them strength, that they would continue uh, to see fruit, that they would trust in what has, in the seed that's been planted, and we can do that because Scripture says that your word does not return void. So what they are, what they are casting out, what they are planting is, is a seed that's going to grow um, in many ways and bring you honor and glory. 
Um, we thank you for the partnership that we have with them, and we look forward to another 50-plus years of, of partnership and relationship and the proclamation of the gospel. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can clap. <clears throat> so December 7th, 1941, that date is probably, uh, probably stamped in some of your, some of your brains, stamped in some of your minds because you were actually alive um, during that time. Um, it's stamped in my brain because I'm a history buff. Um, I love especially World War II history. And on December 7th of 1941, um, the Japanese Navy attacked the American naval base at Pearl Harbor. Uh, 2,300 American soldiers were killed, 12 ships were sunk or beached, and nine others were damaged. Over 300 airplanes um, were destroyed or damaged. And the next day, President Roosevelt, um, with Congress, declared um, war on Japan. And the American war machine began to, began to get turned on. And what was needed to, um, to make that happen was money, right? Money makes, um, makes the world go round, and America needed money. So what they did was they asked ordinary people to purchase bonds. They asked ordinary people to purchase war bonds. And, and how it would work is you would buy, for instance, you would buy a $1,000 bond, uh, for $750. So you would give $750, you would get a $1,000 bond, and at the end of the war, you would cash that bond in, and you would make $250 in return. By the end of World War II, Americans had purchased more than $185 billion in war bonds. And as of 2018, there were still over $16 billion in unclaimed war bonds. So imagine that for a minute. People invested in their country, invested in their country's war effort, and by 2018, there were still $16 billion of these war bonds kind of unclaimed, floating out there, probably tucked into drawers or safety deposit boxes, or, you know, sometimes you hear about someone demolishing an old house, and they pull out the wall, and they find old newspapers and stuff like that. Well, why why has this happened? Why would this happen? Um, surely there are some people who are unaware that they have these war bonds, right? They don't know. Maybe they are passed down from generations, and they don't know what they have. And then for other people, they might know that they have a war bond, but they really don't know what it is. They don't know what it's for. I remember when I was in high school, my second job, I was working at Walmart as a cashier, and I was, I was, as I was working one day, a customer uh, came up, came up to the, um, the cash register and went to pay with cash. And this person handed me, it was a $100 bill. Only I looked at it because something didn't seem like quite right with it. And what it was, it was a 1933 silver certificate, $100 bill. And it looked like it had literally just come off, come off the press. Now, I'm like 16 years old, so I don't know what I'm talking about, but I said something like, do you, do you know what this is? This is a silver certificate. Do you have any other, other way to pay? Because surely it's worth more than $100, right? Well, in those days, we didn't have these, okay? And the person didn't have money. I wish I would have had $100 uh, to cast it out because I looked this up last week and a a silver certificate from the mid-30s um, in pristine condition is worth about $1,200. Okay? 
um, that this person just gave away, right? Because they, they don't know what they have. They don't know what they actually are. And I think when we read a, a letter like the one that we're reading right now, um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, um, we, we hear about these kind of spiritual blessings, but we have really no idea what they are. Uh, we don't know how to interpret them. We don't know what they mean for us. But unlike these World War II uh, war bonds that I was talking about, we don't actually pay for them. These are just gifts given to those who are united with Christ. And that little phrase in verse 3 is really important. These spiritual gifts that Paul is, is talking to the church at Ephesus about, these are only available to people who are united with Christ. And today what we're going to do is we're just going to be really simple on this text. We're just going to talk about what these spiritual blessings are, right? Because the first thing when we want to, when we want to learn something new, we have to understand. We have to know exactly what it is. So if I, for instance, if I found a, one of these war bonds in, in a safety deposit box, I would need someone to tell me what it is. So I would go and I would ask them to explain it to me. So that's really where we're at right now is this really basic understanding of what these spiritual blessings are. But Paul had to tell them what these spiritual blessings are. We've talked a lot about this, this history and this background in the church at Ephesus and why that mattered. And I think one of the reasons that Paul had to tell them this is because all of many of these people— would have burned their sorcery books. Remember, we talked about that great riot back in Acts. And it's likely that once they burned all of their sorcery books, those, were the, those things were the source of their, of their material wealth. That was, that was how they got paid, was by reading these books and casting spells, and people would pay them for that. Well, I get rid of all of my sorcery books, and now I don't have a source of income, Right? And this letter to, uh, to the church at Ephesus was written several years after that. So there's a reality that's taking place that the fact that they burned all of their books and their, and their loss of finances, it was probably beginning to catch up to them, right? After some point, they were, they were probably wondering, how are, they go- how are they going to live? How are they going to pay for things? Surely some of those people would begin to wonder if their conversion to Christianity had been worth it. And I wonder if some of us are in that same exact spot. We've converted to Christianity, we've become Christians, and we're kind of wondering, when is life going to get better? Like, is this it? Is this, is this the fantastic Christian life? I come to church on Sunday morning, maybe I go to small group, I sing a few songs, even some old ones. I think when Shane found that in his office, I had this, ima- this in my mind. I saw him like with this piece of paper and like all of this dust go flying off of it. Right? I think some of us are, some of us are wondering when life is going to get better. Is this all there is to Christianity? And I also think about what was going on in the church in Ephesus, how, how new people were coming into the faith. Because I've been around people for a really long time, chances are there, are there were some Christians who were in that space who had been Christians for a really long time. 
And I imagine what they were likely doing was, was sort of lording their spiritual resume over all of these other people. Right? They had been Christians longer than these other people, their longtime status, right? So, so this division begins to form between people who have been believers for a long time and people who are new believers. And those who had been believers for a long time are looking at these new people and like, why don't you just get it? Why aren't you more spiritually mature? When are you going to grow up? And the interesting thing about these spiritual blessings is they're not dependent on how long you have been in a relationship with Jesus. These spiritual blessings are not dependent on how long you have been in a relationship with Jesus. It's not like school where you start off with the basic and then you put in a little time and a little energy and then you get the next spiritual blessing. And then if you work really, really hard, you get the next spiritual blessing. No, these, these spiritual blessings are given to all believers. And I think with these new people who are coming to salvation, Paul's making it clear that they have so much more because of what Christ had done for them than they had without him. Right? Because when we talked about that in that scene in Acts chapter 19, the, the, vo- the value of these sorcery books was, was in the millions of dollars. And we hear that and we think, you know, that would, that would have probably been a pretty good life to have. And they've given all of that up or they're, or they're being told that they have to give that up. They're being told that they have to sacrifice. And surely some of these new people who are new to this whole Christianity thing are wondering, like, is it worth it? Like, if I, if I give up everything I've ever known, is it worth it? Is it? Like, what am I going to get out of this? So let's talk about these, these spiritual blessings this morning. The first one is verse 4. It simply says, God loved them and he chose them. And he did this so that they would be holy and perfect in his eyes. Okay? God loved them and chose them so they would be perfect in his eyes. And this is really important because this gave them freedom to stop worrying about what other people thought about them. I think for... Some of us in this room, we need to hear that. Some of us are really caught up and bound by what other people think of us. And the fact that Jesus loved them and chose them gives them freedom to stop worrying about what other people think. And I think this is really important for for students in middle school and high school who are overwhelmed with concern about what other people think of them. And Jesus has more for them. What Jesus wants is for them to see themselves as he sees them. They weren't, they weren't fools because they burned their books. They were loved and they were chosen to be set apart, to be holy. And however much the, the world may hate us, what we have is God's free, saving, and eternal love. And there's a lot of us who we don't feel loved. What we feel is lonely. We don't feel chosen. We feel left behind. And for those of us who, who are living in that space where we, where we have to have the affirmation of others to make us feel good, the God of the universe loves you and desires to be in a relationship with you. In fact, he chose you for that. So as we're clamoring for the affirmation 
and the approval of other people. That's not a spiritual blessing because God is giving us, he's giving you so much more. And these blessings are available to those who are united with Christ. Again, if, you're, if, if this is not you, if you're not united with Christ, you, you don't have this blessing. And this sounds really harsh, and we were talking about this in our small group the other night. A lot of times, um, I really like the way Paul writes. Because he, he starts like here, and he makes this, makes this argument, and then he builds everything on that argument. And Paul's sort of doing that here, but he's really giving you hints of what he's going to talk about later in this letter. So as you hear me say things like, if you're not a Christian, this isn't available to you, that may be really offensive, and I can understand that you may be really bothered and offended by that. And frankly, I would be bothered and offended if I heard that too. That this was not available to me. That doesn't seem fair. God doesn't seem very nice. I thought he loved everyone. I would encourage you to continue to come on Sunday mornings, or, or better yet, Read what this book has to say. Read through the rest of this letter of Ephesians. So he did more than just tell them that he loved them and chose them. He adopted them and brought, him, brought them to himself. And this is one of those things where Paul talks a lot more about this spiritual adoption in chapters 2 and 3. But, but understand that at one point previously, the people that Paul is writing to did not belong to God. There were some Jews in there, which meant they were God's chosen people, but there were a whole lot of Gentiles. And because this is primarily a Gentile crowd, he's sort of reminding them that, frankly, you Gentiles, you don't belong. You don't belong. And I think most of us in the room, I can safely say, are Gentiles. So here's what that means for us we don't belong. We don't belong. What God has done is he has adopted us and he's brought us to him. And I love that little phrase, he brought us to him. He didn't just adopt us and then sort of retreat to heaven or retreat to another room in the house and say, you guys go play over there and I'm going to give you everything you could ever want. No, he says he brought them to him. It says that God entered into a personal engaging relationship with his people. He didn't bring us to where we would be by ourselves. He brought us to himself. And then after he chose them and loved and adopted them, he poured his grace on them. And I think what we do see is an ever-deepening relationship between God and his people in this text. He wants to be with us And he wants us to know what we have in him. So he pours out his gifts lavishly on his people. He's not stingy. And that's why I said earlier, whether you're a new Christian or you've been a Christian for a while, like he just gives this to you. He dumps it on you. He's not like, oh, this person's only been a Christian for a few minutes, so I'm only going to put a little cup of water on their head. I'm only going to give them a little bit of grace. No, he gives all of his grace to them. He pours it on them. I don't want you to miss this Trinitarian concept that's going on here. So as Christians, we believe in something called the Trinity, where God is three and he's one. And I don't know how the math of that works. It's probably common core. Um, So don't ask me about that. 
Okay, so we see, we see the Trinity, we see God as three in one. We see the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And each one of those things are not, um, are not separated or independent, but they're somehow together and they all form God. And it's really confusing. And I probably just made the Trinity more confused than you were when you came in here today. So I'm really thankful for that. Um, But we see the Trinity here. This isn't just about God. Those first three spiritual blessings, they're about what God the Father does. And then in verse 7, Paul transitions. He talks about Jesus. He says that Jesus purchased you. Jesus purchased the Ephesians. That's That's a spiritual blessing. Jesus purchased the people that were his believers. He ransomed them and he set them free. And a question that we ought to ask is, well, what, what did he free them from? Like, what does that mean he set them free? What did he ransom them from? And again, this is all pointing to what Paul is going to talk about a little later. And we're going to dig deeply into this when we read chapter 2 in two weeks from now. But Jesus has purchased his people. He's rescued them from something and and it wasn't just rescuing them from from their from their sorcery books it wasn't just rescuing us from our from our addiction to wealth it wasn't just rescuing us out of our selfishness and our and our need for approval from other people he was rescuing us from our sin because this is ultimately what spiritual blessings are about. They are about freedom. And because we need someone to deal with our real problem, and our real problem is our sin, also in verse 7 it says that Jesus forgave our sin. When Jesus came to earth, Jesus came to deal with our greatest need. Our greatest problem was our sin. And I think we often think that sin isn't such a big deal. It's not such a big problem, especially when, when no one gets hurt by our sin. Like, that's when sin's really not a problem for us. I mean, as long as no one gets hurt, I can do this thing, and nobody knows, and everything's, everything's fine. But Jesus came to deal with our sin. He came to forgive us of our sin. And I think there are times, like when we, when we gather together as a body, we, we look at what's what's happening in the world, and, and we wonder why, you know, with, um, with the climate crisis and hurricanes and mass shootings and the opioid epidemic, like, why aren't we gathering together and talking about all of those, like, really pressing those really important things? Like, we want, we want, we want to deal with our lives, right? We want to hear a message that, that helps me deal with my life, with the realities of the world. And I would tell you very very plainly, that we are. That the Bible says the result of sin is slavery and bondage and death. So when we attempt to deal with the slavery, bondage, and death without dealing with the sin, we're not actually fixing the problem. We might be fixing a problem, but we're not fixing the deeper problem and this is a spiritual blessing for us, that Jesus deals what's, with what's really wrong with me. And what Jesus wants to do is deal with what's really wrong with you. 
He wants to get in there with a shovel and root that out. Because until what's really wrong with us is dealt with, everything else is just playing games, is moving one problem to another. But Jesus didn't just forgive our sins. He showered us, he showered them with kindness, with wisdom, and with understanding. One of my favorite pastors that I listen to frequently walks, walks his church through this exercise. He calls it a spiritual MRI. Right, you know what an MRI is? It's better than an x-ray. If you want to see really what's going on inside of your body, you go and you have an MRI done. And here's, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'd like for you to close your eyes for a minute. It's okay. No one's going to come up and punch you in the face while your eyes are closed. You don't have to worry about what other people are doing around you. Just go ahead and close your eyes for a minute. I want you to use your spiritual imagination to see Jesus on his throne in heaven. Right? So you have this image in your, in your mind of, of Jesus on the throne. And as, as, you're, as you're doing that, I want you to imagine in that space that, that you have just sinned. So you are standing before Jesus on his throne and you have just sinned, and the weight of your sin is bearing down on you, and Jesus turns his head and looks at you. What look do you see on his face? Is there anger? Is there disappointment? Is there frustration? Is he rolling his eyes? Is he hanging his head and covering his eyes in shame and embarrassment? I'd like for you to open your eyes and look up here. Jesus is showering you with kindness, wisdom, and understanding because that's who he is. When you sin before God and you go before him, he is showering you as one who has been united in Christ with kindness, wisdom, and understanding. And maybe you think I'm imagining something that's not in that scenario. I want to read you something from Hebrews chapter 4, I believe. This high priest of ours, Jesus, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. As people who have been united with Christ, when we sin and we all sin, every single one of us sins. And when we go to God to confess that sin and repent of that sin, his response is not anger. His response is not vengeance. And I wonder for, for how many of us, that's our mindset of who God is. And that's the, that's the stumbling block to us entering into a relationship with Jesus. Because we're going to have to deal with that. Well, he's offering you kindness. He's offering you wisdom. And he's offering you understanding. And this is a spiritual blessing. Because I need mercy the most when I'm in the midst of my sin. That's when I need mercy the most, is when I'm in the midst of my sin. 
verses 9 and 10, he talks about how Jesus revealed God's will to them. And God's will for their life is really simple. It's to fulfill his plan. And what's his plan? It says it there in the text. Bringing everything together under Christ. I want, I want you to know something. That's God's will for your life. God's will for your life is to join the mission of Jesus and help unite everything under him. And I know so many people who spend so much time agonizing over what God's will is for their life. What does God want me to do? What does God want me to do? Where does he want me to go to school? Where does he want me to work? Where does he want me to live? Who does he want me to marry? God, what's your will for my life? I think when we get caught up in that, we have a very limited view of what God has for us. God has one will for your life, and it's a spiritual blessing. It's for you to be a part of uniting all things under his authority. And see, this is freeing for us too. Remember I said that a few minutes ago, that spiritual blessings are about freedom? Because when we're free, when we're free to join him in his, in his mission and his purpose, then I can be a cashier and I can fulfill God's will for my life. I can be a doctor and fulfill God's will with my life. I can actually be homeless and fulfill God's will for my life. I can be in the midst of incredible hardship and difficulty. And I can know what God's will for my life is. This is a spiritual blessing. It's given to everyone. You don't have to be have to have a Bible degree to know what God's will is for your life, to be obedient to what God calls you to. You can do it where you are, and that's what he's called you to. Next few verses in 11 to 13, Jesus gave them an inheritance, giving them comfort that nothing happening is taking place outside of his plan. I want to read that to you again. Jesus gave them an inheritance, giving them comfort that nothing that's happening is taking place outside of his plan. Do we know how an inheritance works? In order for someone to get it, someone has to do what? They have to die, right? They have to pass away whatever flowery language we want to use with that because we don't want to deal with the uncomfortable reality. They've moved on to a better place. Right? In order to receive an inheritance, somebody has to die. If you're going to receive an inheritance, the only way you get that is when the person giving you the inheritance dies. Well, Jesus died and then he came back to life. So what does that mean? That Did he take his inheritance back? Did he give us this and then, oh, sorry, I'm back. I'm taking my, I'm taking my inheritance back. See, he has given us this inheritance, and we can rest in the comfort that God is blessing us now. And each one of these spiritual blessings found in Ephesians 1 are only hints of what the ultimate future reality is going to look like. And we talked about this a little bit backstage. But see, because these things are in the heavenly realms, according according to verse 3, like they find their full fruition the full payout is in the heavenly realms here's what that means no one can take these spiritual blessings from you this is 
This is yours if you're united with Christ. And as someone who is united with Christ, it's mine, and no one can take that from me. It's not bound by what happens here on earth. There's no futures market on spiritual blessings. If you pay attention to the stock market, you're not going to see spiritual blessings on there. Well, the market did pretty good this year, so we're going we're to give everybody a bonus. Oh, the market tanked, so we're going we're gonna to pull that back a little bit for us. These, are, these blessings are giving in something that's never going to fade away. And because we have this inheritance, we can trust that everything that we endure in our lives is designed for God's praise and glory. And that's a real bitter pill to swallow, isn't it? Because some of us, maybe a lot of us, are in the midst of a ton of hardship in our lives. And we're asking this question, when is it going to get better? What if we oriented ourselves around what Jesus is giving us? What if we oriented ourselves and and see that blessings aren't found in in sorcery books. Blessings aren't found in religious practices and rites and rituals. But what would it look like for us if we saw that, that spiritual blessings are found in God the Father and in his Son, Jesus, and they're available to us right now? Paul wrote this in Romans 8. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. And some of us are in the midst of real hardship, in the midst of real suffering. And what Paul is telling the church at Rome is, it doesn't compare. You have so much more available to you. What about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit identified them and us as his. And here's what that means. This is a finished transaction. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are identified as belonging to Christ. That's the marker. If you're wondering, am I, am I really a Christian? Well, do you have the Holy Spirit? If the answer is yes to that question, you are united with Christ. If the answer is no to that question, you're not united with Christ. Remember back in Acts chapter 18 when, when Paul came back into Ephesus and he sees these people, these people who, who were believers and they had only been baptized in the baptism of John. What did he do? He baptized them in the name of Jesus and they were filled with the Holy Spirit because they didn't have the marker of a Christian. They did a lot of things right. They probably prayed as much as they were able. If they, they had access to, to, a, um, to a synagogue where they could hear the good news proclaimed over them, like they probably interacted in all of the rites and rituals of what Christianity looked like in Ephesus in that day. But here's the thing. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And because they didn't have the Holy Spirit, they weren't Christians. And for us, we have to understand that. I've talked to so many people when you, when you ask them a question about, tell me about your, 
Christianity. Are you a Christian? Their response is so often, well, I go to church. Well, I read the Bible. I pray. No, you're a Christian if you have the Holy Spirit, is what this says. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit, verse 14, is God's guarantee. It's God's down payment. When the Holy Spirit is living and active in our lives, we can find assurance that we belong to him. Spiritual blessings, they're not, they're not the results of, of outward activities or good moral behaviors, but, but these things come from what's happening inside, which is why Jesus has to deal with what's going on on the inside. Because everything else Jesus might do doesn't deal with the real problem that we have. These spiritual blessings are available to all who are united in Christ. If you are united in Christ, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, you have all of these, all of them. Not a part of some of them, not more of one and less than the other, but you have all of them. These spiritual blessings come by God's grace and for his glory. They're not about you, but they're about him. These these blessings that God has showered on us are about him, and they're only the beginning. And as we, as we grow in our relationship with God, we understand more and more what these blessings mean for our lives, right? We go from finding the World War II bond to taking it to someone who can tell us what it is, and then like, oh, this is worth something. I can cash this in. And I left this whole part out of my message. And I get to pay back taxes on the difference between the two things. Did you know that if you had, if you had bought 12 $1,000 war bonds in 1941 and you found them today and you went to cash them in, you'd have to deal with a tax penalty on $34,000. There's no penalty for accessing the blessings that God has given us. But I would say that there is a penalty for not. There is a penalty for recognizing what I have available to me in my life and choosing to not take advantage of that. Why, like, why would, you, why would you do that? If you're a Christian this morning, I want to let you know that you have full access to these blessings. And I hope that you will spend time this week looking through and reading through this text and having a conversation with God and asking him, what do these spiritual blessings look like in my life? Okay, the conversation is not, God, I want you to give me these. The conversation is, God, you have given me these. How can I live in them? How can I accept this gift? How can I be obedient and be a part of the rewards that you have given me, the blessings that you've given me? And if you're not a Christian, you're not. These aren't for you yet. And I say yet because, because they're right in front of you. And it's really simple. You just have to, like, I, I want these. I want to accept Jesus as my Savior. I want to be united with him. And like everything else in, 
in the Christian life, it's simple, but it's not easy. All you have to do is acknowledge that Jesus is your Lord, repent of your sin, be baptized, and confess him with your mouth and with your life. Like, that's, like, that's so simple. And there's nothing easy about it, which is why there's a room of people that God has placed in your life to help you navigate what that looks like for me to live for Christ for the rest of my life. That's why God has given us one another so that we can help one another learn and grow in our discipleship and accept these spiritual blessings and be transformed by them. I hope that you will come back as we continue this series through Ephesians. God has so much for us as a church and as individuals. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have blessed us beyond anything we could imagine. Thank you that your blessings of us are not based on temporary things like money or food or houses or things that are going to disappear, but they're based on eternal things. And we have access to each one of them. And I ask God that, that this week we would consider heavily what we just might be missing out on. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.